and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson and I run Stack, the subscription club that delivers a different independent magazine to your door every month. This week I'm speaking with Usman Bari, the man behind Chutney, a magazine that uses food as a way of considering cultural identity, colonialism and migration. If you heard last week's episode, you'll know I spoke with the editors and founders of Cakezine, the literary food magazine, and I think it's interesting to compare the two titles, because while Cakezine's stories cover all sorts of other subjects like America and humility and grief, they're also all solidly grounded in food, whereas in Chutney, more than half the stories have nothing at all to do with food, which really allows the subjects of culture and identity to come to the fore. This is the last of our Indicon-influenced episodes of the Stack podcast. Uh, Usman had a stall at last month's Indicon festival, just a couple of tables across from ours. So we spent a long time chatting while we were over in Hamburg, and it was those conversations that made me want to record something back here in London. We realised while we were over there that he lives fairly close to our office, so we arranged to meet in a little park near Labrook Grove on Wednesday this week and recorded the following on a bright and breezy early autumn day. It was really lovely catching up with him again and I hope we'll enjoy this conversation with Usman from Chutney. Usman, thanks so much for making time to come and talk. Thanks for having me, Steve. And so uh, we obviously spent a few days uh, sitting together in Hamburg uh, and I'm really pleased that we're now going to get a chance to talk about this thing uh, properly uh, on record. And maybe you could start by telling us, like, what is this magazine, Chutney? Yeah, so Chutney is essentially a collection of stories, everyday stories on cultural identity, specifically told through marginalised or underrepresented perspectives. And the aim of the magazine is to challenge the idea of communities as monoliths uh, and so effectively create a space for these voices to share their narratives on their own terms and enrich our understanding of each other. Right, okay, all right, that makes total sense. <laughs> you can always tell when something is important in a magazine because like, it goes right at the front. Uh, and so right at the front of your magazine, you have uh, some uh, scripts, some Urdu scripts, I think, uh, and the translation, don't make chutney with my brain. So um, tell me what that is all about. Yeah, so that's something my mum used to say to me quite a bit when I was younger. Merdamaki chutney matpanao, which as you said, translates to don't make chutney with my brain. <laughs> so obviously she used to say it to me when you know she was quite annoyed with me. Uh, but the reason it's at the front of the magazine is because it inspired the name, essentially. Um, you know, I was inspired by the fact that something as simple as chutney could warrant its own cultural idiom, but then... Uh, surpass its role just as being like a simple food and you know become something much larger within language and culture in general Mm. Um, and the story of chutney itself is quite important you know it being a simple condiment and then subsequently colonized and now you can find it in like a million different varieties around the world I think that story kind of sums up the sort of stories I want to share in the magazine as well yeah absolutely yeah And, and it feels to me like food also plays an important part so the there are some stories in the magazine um, that feature food very prominently. So the, there's uh, the one with um, a grandfather from a place called Karaduan uh, on like the Syrian-Turkey border. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of introduced to him and he's sitting there like drinking great molasses like late at night. 
and then the story goes on to tell the process of like the writer making great molasses with his grandparents and like it, it feels like this very deep kind of uh, almost sort of like treasuring of like uh, of like cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's what's really important. I think within Chutney is kind of privileging the personal experience within the collective. So you know, everyone kind of shares their own stories that are really personal and important to them. But it's not to say that their stories reflect or represent the culture as a whole. I think when I'm working with people on the magazine, I really do encourage them to sort of like tap into what's really most important to them. Uh, rather than carry the burden of trying to represent their community in this like holistic way. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more enriching when you kind of touch upon the individual, personal, essentially human experience. Mm-hmm. And so I guess food is kind of helpful with that because food is a universal human experience. Like we all eat stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really interesting to see just how many different ways people kind of uh, address food or like the different kind of relationships they have with food you know you could it could be you know making great molasses with your grandparents or it could be a food that you had when you were growing up that's actually like a really important part of your migration history um, and so as you said like it is this universal thing that people can relate to whether or not you've had the food or are yourself from that specific culture yeah there's a story I think maybe the first story in the magazine about um uh, oranges and uh, and Yaffa uh, in in Palestine, and the the writer um, uh, writes about like kind of whenever they go to a new uh, like apartment or something, they find the local like Middle Eastern supermarket and go and get um, orange blossom water because that like helps with indigestion and I've got like a Middle Eastern supermarket at the top of my road <laughs> and so like I like after reading this ran off and bought it I was like oh, it's disgusting <laughs> I don't know why I was expecting it to taste nice because they specifically say it's bitter but the um, I think maybe like the romance of the story made me think that this was going to change my life to be honest I forgot it was bitter I thought it was I mean when you hear the word orange blossom water you think of something that's kind of like fragrant and, and, and sweet it's and floral yeah. um, but it's funny that you actually went out and, and bought it uh, I haven't done that myself but but yeah again like just like the idea of like the Arab grocery store as well just like these sort of cultural touchstones within your community um, and those kind of things like I think yeah those also play like really important roles within the stories um, because a lot of people are part of diasporas um, and so they're not writing from their native countries or cultures they're they're sort of somewhere else and so I think you'll find like a lot of these references littered within the stories themselves. Mm, 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 absolutely. Well, and so then it's I say like the like some of the stories feature food prominently, but I'd say probably just as many stories have got nothing to do with food whatsoever. Um, so like when when you're putting the magazine together, like what kind of what's your sort of ideal story? What's the thing that makes you go, "Oh yeah, this is perfect for the magazine?" Ah, uh, that's a tricky one. I don't know. I I feel like it's always evolving. I think uh, I think if it's not like sort of a typical story that you you often hear, you know, I, while I understand that there is space for everyone to sort of share their individual stories and like individual cultures, like I do recognize that there is sort of like a hierarchy as well. Like, you know, often certain stories are told way often than other and then those kind of morph into like stereotypes or uh, cliches or whatever. So I think something that I personally haven't come across in terms of content that would be like really important to me. Um, that being said, I don't know a lot myself, so uh, it's quite an easy box to tick. 
Um, but also, yeah, just something maybe not necessarily food because I think the name Chutney does lend itself to this idea of it being like a foodie magazine. Um, so actually, if, if a story isn't about food, that's also a plus for sure. So, so like I think you, you touch on an interesting point there in terms of like, you know, you, you don't know all of this. You, you can't do this yourself. Like you, so on the masthead, you are founder, editor and designer. <laughs> and I, I, I normally think that's kind of, it's almost like sort of an alarm bell ringing because the like, you know, when you get one person who's trying to do it all themselves, then like they might be really, really good, but they're probably not as good as three different people who could all do that. But what you do very well with this is, so you're there as like founder, editor, designer, and then there's a ton of other people involved in this. I mean, obviously lots of contributors, but like, you know, proofreaders and advisors and things. Like when you, so this was your third issue, when you set out to make the third issue, what's your starting point? How do you kind of start saying to people like, hey, we're doing it again. You know, I, I want your story ideas. I want like your, your pitches. I think it happens quite organically, to be honest. Like with each issue, I don't necessarily have a planned start date. So for issue three, uh, I basically saw this short film on classic cars in Southall, which actually features within this issue. And as soon as I saw the film, I was like, I've got to interview the photographer or the filmmaker who made this. This is perfect chutney stuff. Um, and, and it's really like that one seed that blossoms into the issue. So I began with that and then the ball started rolling and then I got more excited and I started reaching out to different people. What's different with this issue as well was I didn't put out a public call for submissions for the first time. I wanted to try my hand at curating the content a bit more. And so I began with, you know, began with interviewing uh, the photographer who did the film and then kind of reached out to different people, primarily via sort of Instagram, really, because a lot of people I sort of follow but don't know. Um, and then, yes, yeah, slowly but surely, the process kind of began yeah yeah, yeah. so that so that's the the south hall story that's like the zimmers right yeah, like the yeah, exactly. g- guys driving their bmws uh-huh yeah yeah for sure and it's you know it's something that's been done over generations and generations and it kind of ties into migration as well and like i don't know just like all the different chutney ingredients that make a classic chutney story yeah yeah so okay so let thinking about like a classic chutney story then so like you've talked about colonialism uh, already and migration and at the back of the magazine there's a bit where you talk about wanting to kind of provide a, a space for like underrepresented voices it is is the magazine really um like it is everybody in this magazine somebody whose uh, country or traditions have been colonized like is, is this a magazine like you know kind of examining colonialism I don't think explicitly so, but I do think it's really important that if you read the stories, you get this implicit sense that everyone has actually been affected by colonialism in one way or another. They may not be from a country that has been directly colonized, but they may have had to migrate or their families may have had to migrate as a result of colonization. Um, Or, you know, even just the fact that all the stories are written in English. I think that speaks for itself. You know, we're representing like a whole bunch of different cultures and identities but English is like the one unifying language mm, mm. Um, you know it is something I grapple with though because I think when I started the magazine there was this like really strong sense of like maybe trying to be decolonial about it but I think as I've gone through the issues it's it's kind of less as I said explicitly so and it's more I think it just comes out within the stories themselves I think that's the kind of people or the kind of stories that I want to include in the magazine where you don't have to like put it in the title necessarily but then 
there's more depth to it I find mm. um, and in that way the stories unfortunately or fortunately depending how you look on it look at it connect to each other mm. because mm. everyone's kind of been affected in one way or another yeah yeah no I, I think that that totally comes through in the in the process of, of reading the magazine and you also have this structure of chop mix preserve so kind of like rather than I guess three very explicit sections you have this more kind of like implicit uh sectioning but is, is there like is there a defined difference between the stories that for example go in chop compared to mix or is, is this just a way for you to kind of pace things uh i think to be fair that the sections are slightly interchangeable i think because a lot of stories will tick boxes of multiple sections so on the one hand it is sort of a pacing device if you will like chop the stories are a little more introductory in terms of content or a bit shorter more bite-sized and then mix is really about sort of cross-cultural influences which again can be said for all the stories within and then preserve is more like sort of related to legacies or lesser known histories um i think as you progress through the issues the stories sort of increase in depth perhaps or or in length at least um so I think, yeah, on the one hand, it is a pacing device, but also they are distinct enough that I can organize the content accordingly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so the, like, you, you say at the, the start of the magazine that this is the first issue produced away from Turtle Island, which then sent me off looking for, like, where is this place, Turtle Island? Could, tell, tell me more about that. Yes, yeah, so Turtle Island is the indigenous name uh, for the continent of North America, essentially. Um, and so, you know, I moved from Canada to London two years ago and when I was living in Canada, I was living on Turtle Island and I started the magazine there uh, as a settler on the land. So I thought it was just important to sort of acknowledge that and, you know, pay tribute to the land that I was on, which isn't my own. And, you know, I'm a guest and it is a privilege to be able to produce a magazine that kind of, you know, touches on themes of decolonization and migration when I myself am a settler on that land. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to recognize it. And so I guess then that also raises an important question for making this third issue. So the, your first two were made with you as a settler uh, in somebody else's land. This third issue is made by you as an immigrant to this country, which is obviously, <laughs> we have a very long history of colonialism here. The, like, how, how, how does that change what you do? Or does it change what you do? I don't know if it has, to be honest. It is something I've thought about because I feel like I'm in the belly of the beast now to an extent. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like perhaps I have a bit more agency in, in what I'm doing because, as you said, I'm an immigrant and, you know, the British Empire has touched, like, my own sort of cultural heritage and, you know, being from Pakistan, obviously uh, created as a result of partition and colonialism itself. Um, so I think that was sort of slightly different than when I was living on Turtle Island. Um, and yeah, somehow there is this feeling that we're, you're like closer to the root of it all. Or like, um, and, and I think perhaps that translates through the stories. With this issue, I think there's been, they have been slightly more introspective or I think accounted for uh, cultural history to a larger extent rather than being purely personal. Um, and I think that may be a result of, yeah, me actually being here. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then what about the actual production of the thing itself? Because you printed with Park Communications here, here in London. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see your first two issues. I've only seen the third one. How did printing with them change what you were doing? 
yeah so issues one and two were really small print runs they were risograph printed in toronto um and then with with this issue i wanted to print with park just because i wanted to produce more copies of the magazine uh so we went from printing 250 on risograph to a thousand on litho offset um and i you know i think it was the right step just like scaling up in terms of quantity but also i think the the magazines matured a little with this issue you know i, I do love risograph but i think with litho it just it kind of made sense you know with the scale and kind of uh the time it took to produce it and i think just like the quality of the magazine now it has i think taken it not to a a higher level i'd say but a different level mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and that's something i'm really pleased about because i think the magazine's kind of coming into its own a bit more now yeah yeah and it's a beautiful thing as well i mean the so you've got this lovely gold foil on the front and back covers um, you've got the Fedragoni papers in there, which like, feels lovely to, like, to hold the thing. I mean, this must have been expensive to produce. Yeah, it was. Um, it was expensive. And, you know, Chutney has been uh, not the most... Well, it's a magazine, so it's not really financially uh, the most sustainable thing ever. But I think I was lucky enough to have some funding from issue one uh, that I've kind of used as a platform for the magazine and that and like sort of freelancing and you know, personal expenses and whatnot, that's kind of allowed the magazine to come to life, I guess, financially speaking anyway. But yeah, it was it was expensive, expensive, but perhaps not as expensive as one might think, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I've broken even, luckily. So from here on, it's, yeah. That's amazing. How many copies left? I don't know. I've got uh, six boxes, 40 <laughs> copies. <laughs> I'm just doing the math here. I want to say about... 250 okay all right so it's all gravy from here you just get to make money from this point well it goes back <laughs> into the next issue really so i don't know about making money but it's all good i'm you know it was never meant to be like this money making thing anyway so so i mean the like uh, i think i might know the answer to this given what you said before so you uh, maybe don't kind of like plan for a specific start date like something just comes along and like inspires you to make something do you have a sense of when the next issue might come out, issue four? I don't know when the issue will come out. I think the wheels are sort of turning in that I want to start working on it quite soon. Uh, I mean, currently I've been following a two-year cycle. So to be safe, I want to say 2025, but I have a feeling that if I am if I am more disciplined and I get the ball rolling a bit earlier, it could come out maybe late next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't hold me to that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. I mean, like, do you like? Do you feel like this is exactly how you want to be making this magazine, or like, if you could produce it more frequently, would you? I don't know. I think I'm actually quite happy with the frequency at the moment because I think, yeah, once I produce it, I kind of do like a little circuit of book fairs and whatnot, trying to sell it and meet more people and like kind of engage with the readers. And I think it needs a bit of time for people to sort of like marinate in the stories a bit. Um, so I don't mind if it's like one year of not any new Chutney content mm. and then the next year is just like producing it and like coming up with new stuff. Mm. Um, I, I think the pacing's okay for now. I would love to sort of work on it more often and kind of, yeah, have more people involved and be, I mean, I'm already like always thinking about Chutney anyway, but I think for now the pacing's okay. Yeah. But because you also, at the moment, are um, spending quite a lot of time trying to get a job. <laughs> Correct. I am currently unemployed. Um, but, you know, that's also maybe a, 
a good excuse to actually work on Chutney a bit more with now that I have more time on my hands. Well, what I'm thinking is like, you know, if somebody's sitting in a design studio at the moment and thinking like, we just need an extra pair of hands, like they should totally find a copy of Chutney and take a look because you've made an amazing thing with it. Thank you. Well, and yeah, please do. I mean, I couldn't think of, think of a better business card, to be honest. Just have a look at the magazine and hopefully you like it. And yeah, I am available. Okay, so the like, so you're, you're looking for work, but you are also working at Mag Culture mm -hmm. uh, at the moment, which means that you're well-placed to tell us what is good at the moment. Magazine-wise, you mean? Uh, this is such a tricky question, to be honest, because customers come in and I'm just... Like, I've got my favourites, obviously. They're not, re they're not necessarily new. Um, the new the new magazine by Richard Turley is really interesting. Nuts, uh, or is it Nut? I think it, it's, it's, I think it's that's a really big one, isn't it? Yeah, right, that's like the fashion magazine without fashion. Yeah, and it's like printed on sort of newsprint-ish newspaper uh, paper, and it's just like it feels really good in the hand. It's like an anti-fashion fashion mag. So that one's really interesting, but is Richard Turley, so obviously it would be good. Um, a recent title that I was really intrigued by was Air Africa. Oh yeah. Um, do you know it? It's yeah. like it's like a square format kind of like art forum, um, but it was named after this uh, Pan African Airlines from the '60s, and it's basically this like almost like modernist contemporary culture and art magazine focused solely on Africa and the diasporas, mm -hmm. and it's really beautifully produced and like the graphic design is excellent and it's like nice glossy stock. Uh, we're sold out though, so I didn't get a ah. copy, but. Uh, it is really nice, and I think one to keep an eye out for in yeah, the future. Right. That yeah, that sounds fantastic. Well, I, th I mean, this is reminding me I've not been to Mag Culture in some months, <laughs> so I need to I need to get back uh, and and have a proper look through the shelves. Um, do you have a sense? This is this always intrigues me. So, like, because we ran uh, 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 like a, an online magazine shop. And I would like, time and again, I'd be like, oh, awesome, the new issue of this is coming out, this is gonna sell so well. And then, lo and behold, it wouldn't, and then something else comes out of nowhere, you've got no idea what it is, and it goes bananas. Do you, like, in a physical place, do you get a better sense of, like, what's gonna sell well, or is it still just a big surprise? I think it is a big surprise. I mean, uh, you'd think that, you know, a certain title, would be in high demand like the distributor sends 30 copies and it, obviously it's a big chunk people want it and then you end up returning like 22 of them it, I, I, I don't know I'm probably not like the best person to ask but I think yeah it is hard to tell obviously some titles like you just know that they're gonna sell like everyone wants the face everyone wants dazed pop um, just like yeah the the big titles but um, I don't know I I don't know if like being in a physical space really kind of gives you the extra bit of intel obviously you can see when people come in and like pick stuff up what there's interest in and like you can be strategic about where you place things um but yeah i don't know it it, it can be a surprise yeah yeah totally yeah. yeah well there you go maybe i won't start opening a magazine <laughs> show then <laughs> uh, usman it's been fantastic talking to you uh thanks again for making the turn thanks a lot steve appreciate it Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Usman for coming over to speak with me and I'm keeping my fingers crossed for issue four coming out at the end of next year. No pressure, obviously. 
If you've listened all the way to the end of our previous episodes, you'll know that at this point we've got a special secret discount code. And I'm very pleased to say that somebody has actually finally used it. Um, so thanks very much to Lucy Boyd, who subscribed to Stack earlier this week and used the code podcast to get 10% off. And of course, my personal thanks. Uh, we would love to see more podcast listeners becoming subscribers too. So be like Lucy uh, and go to stackmagazines.com and use the code podcast and you'll save 10% off our surprise magazine club. Uh, and I'll thank you in our next episode. I've decided that I want to experiment with making the podcast fortnightly for a little while. So we're not going to have a new episode next Friday, but we'll be back with one the Friday after that. I feel like fortnightly is going to be a better frequency for us. But of course, I'd love to hear what you think to that. So please do drop me a line on steve at stackmagazines.com if you have anything that you'd like to say about the podcast uh, and watch out for that next episode coming in a couple of weeks time.